From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. TNT. Sonia Poulton and today's news talk, TNT. And hello and welcome to the Sonia Poulton Show on today's news talk, TNT. How the devil are you all doing? Oh, what a day. It's Thursday. We're over hump day, as Gemma would say. Let me see what's going on in the comments this morning. Let me check them out. Good morning, beautiful people. Hello there, Shin. Obviously, it's not morning all around the world. It's only morning in the UK. In some parts of the world, it's evening, and in other parts, it's night. Hey, Mazzy. Hey, River. How are you all doing? Hello, Shug and Raycan. Absolutely wonderful to have you glorious people here with me. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Now, what's on the agenda today? Well, I want to talk about what's coming up this Monday, January the 29th, 2024, where researcher and filmmaker Richard D. Hall will be at the High Court in London for a hearing that is scheduled to start at 2 p.m. Time allowed is two hours and 30 minutes, and the hearing will be heard in open court, which means you can be there. So what is this all about? Well, the hearing is for a summary judgment, which has been submitted by the claimants who claim they were injured in the Manchester Arena bomb attack. Richard has been sued because of his film about the Manchester Arena, in which he questions the truth of the official narrative. Now, quoting from Richard's website, he says their application to the court has been made in order to attempt to prevent evidence about the alleged bombing being heard at a future trial. The basis of the claimant's application is they say that Richard's evidence would have no chance of success at a trial. They say the truth about the Manchester Arena bombing was already established by a public inquiry. So let us look at what has been established at a public inquiry and what is indeed the official narrative. Well, you can do no better to find out what the establishment is saying than to turn to Wiki. And uh, the Manchester Arena bombing or Manchester Arena attack was an Islamic terrorist suicide bombing of the Manchester Arena in Manchester, England on 22nd May 2017, following a concert by American pop singer Ariana Grande. It in killed 22 people, injured 1,017 and destroyed the arena's foyer. Now, Richard has called into question this attack, as indeed have many people. Many people have said, is, is this a false flag? Um, and in fact, I actually did say that on the Jeremy Vine show once, when after, shortly after it happened. I, and, and I put him to, to look at various literature about what a false flag is. Um, and he was not happy, shall we say. Now, Richard is, is opposing the summary judgment application, as I say. He wishes to have his evidence heard. And Richard seems to think that the judge will make the decision on the day. And uh, he or she may well, but that is not a given in my experience. I've spent uh, rather a lot of time at the High Court in the last few years. And I can tell you that sometimes judgment can take weeks. Uh, depending on how difficult the arguments are. But what I find curious is only two and a half hours has been given for this hearing. Now, I've been involved in summary judgment and strikeout hearings, and they've been for all day. Um, and so I, I, it, it feels almost that it, it is a given, actually. And I do think it is quite difficult what Richard is attempting to do because the official narrative has been so well established. 
And the claim against Richard is that his the opinions expressed in his books and films about the Manchester Arena incident amount to harassment of people involved. They're seeking damages of £50,000 and an injunction against his published work. People are allowed to attend. Richard says if, if anyone wants to attend, there are seats, but limited to a certain number, and they're allocated on a first-come, first-served basis. And Richard has asked that people dress well, do not speak in the courtroom, and do not try to record the hearing. And I, I do understand why he's saying that. And, and it's because, well, in part, because he doesn't want people, you know, people who are supporting him to look as if, it, you know, as if they're sort of wastrels, that they, that they are respectable people, that these aren't just, you know, Tim hat wearing conspiracy theorists. And so I, I get it. And obviously you cannot record in court. That would be considered contempt and you'd find yourself before the judge in no time. So there you are. That's this Monday at the High Court in the Strand in London. And if you're able to support Richard, do. We will be back shortly with Gemma Cooper. This is today's News Talk TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to today's News Talk TNT. I'm joined by Gemma Cooper and we're forming something of a Gemma Cooper Appreciation Society around here. After yesterday's tweet about Gemma and uh, and being so absolutely informative, Laura Loves God on Twitter said, I would also like to show my appreciation of Gemma Cooper. What a star she is. She is very informative and she brings us the news with efficiency, clarity and humanity. Absolutely love her. There you go, Gemma. What about that? Eh? Appreciation. Oh, that's really lovely. Uh, that is, that's great. I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm touched beyond measure because it's so lovely to get feedback like that. I, I spent so long in the mainstream. And when I became a presenter, I was a journalist way before I was in front of the camera. I was mostly behind the camera for my career in broadcasting. But, uh, you know, the corporation that I worked for, and it wasn't just me, they did it to all their presenters. They never really told you if you were any good because they never wanted anybody to think that they were bigger than the institution, which I never would have done. Um, but it would have been nice to sort of say, well done occasionally. <laughs> so so here's such lovely praise. Now I've come out of the matrix. It's really reassuring. And um, it, it kind of indicates I'm on the right track, at least with what I'm doing professionally now. People do like you. And the thing is, Gemma, is that sometimes I feel that, you know, in, in the business we're in, oftentimes it's it's the hosts and the presenters who get all the attention. And the people who come in, such as yourself, with these incredibly important bulletins can often get overlooked, but not on this show, right? Not on this show. I think it's absolutely important and vital to let people know when they're appreciated. And so, Gemma, you are appreciated. Absolutely. And uh, what's this? In addition, UK critical thinker had to cease the work he was doing because of death threats to him. This is obviously in relation to the Richard D. Hall story. Gemma, what do you have for us today? Well, I'm just going to comment on the Richard D. Hall story because there is a huge link to my former employer there, the BBC. And of oh, course, yeah. uh, you know, our wonderful little, you know, BBC Verify Mariana Spring. And I use the word wonderful little with absolute sarcasm there, you know, but the BBC's disinformation correspondent went after Richard D. Hall in a very, very public manner, went and filmed him at his, his stall, his market stall, where he sells his books and his DVDs and all his research, you know, in Wales um, and, and, and harassed him. 
about his work to do with Manchester and didn't want to listen to anything, you know, that he, well, he didn't want to talk to her. He said, if I, I'm not engaging with you because you'll just twist my words. And of course, that's exactly what happened. But as a result of her harassment on him, he lost his uh, his his stall in the, in the marketplace and he couldn't go out publicly and sell his work. So, yeah, I think that's been uh, instrumental in actually, you know, raising the public awareness of, of his work which is not necessarily a bad thing, but the BBC, like they went after the light paper and the editor, Darren, they're, they're just going after anyone in the alternative movement in an attempt to discredit, smear and silence. Um, so, you know, if, if people can support Richard in the most respectful way, as he rightly says, you know, don't mess around with judges in court, don't film, don't talk back to the system, don't start talking about common law and all that stuff because the judges and the courts really don't like that. Um, go and re represent, you know, the movement in the best way you can and, and show support for the man because he's been working for decades now, decades in the alternative way. He was one of the first in the UK, wasn't he, Sonia? Oh, absolutely. He was. I've made a series of films, by the way, called The Gatekeeper Series. And Mariana Spring is one of my gatekeepers. And I covered that very story that you're talking about. It was absolutely abhorrent that they literally had the full force of the BBC that, that went for him. It's, this is frightening when this happens. And did you see the clip with Darren where Darren, um, I think Darren's photographer is actually saying, you know, we're really concerned about the way you're setting up this interview and how you're going to present us. And Mariana Spring's like, no, 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 it's not going to be like that. Next thing you know, boom, the headline is exactly like that at the BBC. So absolutely cannot be trusted. But Mariana Spring, lots of question marks over that young lady, shall we say. So uh, there you yeah. go. But yeah, I agree with you, Gemma. Absolutely. Sport respectfully, if you can, please. Absolutely. Uh, but in the meantime, I've got a story that, uh, you know, on the face of it, you might think, why is she talking about beauty pageants? But it does raise a question. I think the key word here is authenticity. And where is it going in the world? Because a, a race row has uh, exploded in Japan, of all places. And it's not known for its kind of uh, courting controversy. It's quite a respectful country. Um, but the new Miss Japan was crowned earlier in the week. And uh, it's caused a huge amount of uh, furore because She's not really Japanese. Uh, this beautiful young woman, she's 26 years old. She's called uh, Carolina Shino, and she's from Nagoya in Japan. She was crowned Miss Japan, uh, and she's been living in Japan since she was five years old, and she has a Japanese stepfather. But her real parents are Ukrainian. She's of Ukrainian origin. Now, she's a very beautiful girl, uh, slim, long brown hair, beautiful features, but she's extremely Western. She looks Ukrainian. Um, and she was crowned Miss Japan because she's a naturalized citizen, having moved there when she was a child and having a stepfather who is Japanese. But unsurprisingly, this has caused a huge reaction with many people saying, how can someone with no Japanese an ancestry whatsoever be Miss Japan. And of course, Sonex on Twitter, which is the is the way that people express themselves now, and it really sets the tone for kind of, you know, what people are really thinking. Um, you know, uh, many are saying this decision is obviously political. It's linked to Ukraine. And also, you know, our Western looks preferred over the whole of the, the Eastern and Asian world. Uh, one commentator said, if she was born Russian, this is clearly a political decision because if she was born Russian, she wouldn't have won this competition. No, not a chance. Uh, and this criteria for winning Miss Japan is obviously a political decision. And it's a very sad day for Japan. Other people are saying Japanese people are definitely getting the wrong message when a European is called the most beautiful Japanese woman in the room. Uh, the organizers are saying uh, we are rethinking what Japanese beauty is, um, which I think is is a very spurious kind of comment because Japanese beauty seems to be Western beauty is, um, which I think is 
is a very spurious kind of comment because Japanese beauty seems to be Western beauty. They're not really, you know, bringing anything new to the table. You know, young, slim woman, that's been the the beauty trope for forever. Uh, So they're not really rethinking. They're just changing the facial features. Um, Also, the organizers say um, Japanese beauty is not in appearance or blood anymore, but it's in our hearts, a very kind of you know, a willy, wishy, washy kind of statement. Um, The girl herself says she's absolutely filled with gratitude to be crowned Miss Japan. She says since moving to the country, she's had to face many barriers to to being accepted as Japanese. She says she's now, she feels she's Japanese in speech and mind. She's fluent in the language. And as Miss Japan, she wants to create a society where people are not judged by appearance. It just seems to me there's some kind of weird culture sweeping the world where be anything but what you really are. You know, we're seeing it in the trans movement that, you know, women are really men now. And we're seeing it here that, you know, you've got the Miss Japan competition. Well, we'll give it to a European. We'll give it to a Westerner. It seems that there's great lengths to stop kind of authenticity shining through and the real kind of you or the real culture or the real sex that you are um it's all being swept away and this kind of like uh, attempt to derail what's really real in our culture this woman is not japanese she's not japanese i'm sure she's a very nice woman she's a very beautiful woman but she's not japanese in any way shape or form except on her passport um so it does raise a lot of questions about authentic society and are we living in a completely inauthentic society now um and you know i I don't think she's going to have her crown taken away from her not by a long way and i i do agree with a lot of the comments i think this is possibly a very political decision she's ukrainian uh if she was russian and and she looked like a russian would she be winning miss japan i doubt it personally i don't know what the organizers would say they're not here to defend themselves but it's caused a huge storm uh, and if you look at the picture of the lineup of the five finalists you it almost looks like she snuck in under the back door and she kind of is there by mistake just because her looks are so so different to the other four women that she's standing on the podium with see that is interesting it's made me think of so many things while you were talking there and it was interesting that you raised that the issue of transgenderism of course because we've seen this plethora of men who have won women's beauty competitions i think miss universe was one of them and uh, there there have been a number of others as well but i think the issue of authenticity is really important here because many of our beauty standards now are back to front obviously we the kardashians arguably so uh, love them or hate them and I'm definitely in the latter category. Uh, But the Kardashians arguably have had such a huge influence on so-called beauty standards. And that obviously sweeps all across the world. And I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? This westernized idea is supposedly supposed to be a standard of beauty. Whereas with the Kardashians, what they've done is they've actually taken a black aesthetic and so, so they, they, they've created this sort of amalgamation of Western, Westernized beauty, very thin noses, um, because they, you know, kind of, oh, I mean, none of them have the faces that they were born with. And Chloe in particular has had a nose really kind of very, very tweaked, much like the Jackson family did. But I just, I think it is really interesting. Are we not allowed to be ourselves anymore? And I do actually tend to agree. This sounds like a political message taking place here. Uh, you know, as you say, would they have, would they have crowned somebody from Russian descent? I think not. So, you know, uh, oh, but also beauty competitions. What are they really all about? And this idea of, oh, we're not worried about the beauty standard anymore. It's all about what's going on inside. Well, don't be in a beauty competition then. But you know, the, the, the beauty competitions that I 
object to most of all are child pageants, Gemma. They're the ones that I really object to most of all because they're just so obscene. But yeah, weird world we're living in. Love yourself, people, right? Love yourself. And I think that's probably the take-home message here. But sounds political to me, Gemma. What do you think? Yeah, it does look very political. And I think it's just indicative of like so many things that happen now in the world that they think we can't see through it. They think normal people can't see through it and raise their eyebrows and go, oh, really? Come on, what's going on here? Um, which clearly, you know, has been reflected on on many, many, many platforms and social media since this decision was made. People are like, really? You really? You really don't want us to believe that this is not a political stunt? Um, but also it's angered people because it raises questions about heritage. It raises questions about national pride. Uh, it really raises questions about um you know the standards of beauty and the western hegemonic standard of beauty which is basically under 28 years old female and very thin personally i would be delighted if a middle-aged woman with gray hair had won miss japan i would thought that was absolutely amazing that would be turning the standards of beauty around not not you know that would be rethinking beauty that would be rethinking beauty absolutely love that what a fantastic note to end on everybody this has been Gemma cooper and this is tnt see you tomorrow Gemma. Bye. TNT, Sonia Porton. You feel the need to describe yourself, along with being a useless eater, free speech isn't a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently. So just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No, there's no such thing. There was, there was literally no such thing until a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion, it's not mine. And I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. 
We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. Today's News Talk. News and information. TNT Radio. And welcome back to the Sonia News Sonia News Show, to the Sonia Poulton Show on TNT. And uh, how are you today? I am delighted to be joined by, well, one of my favourite type of people, an insider and a whistleblower. You can't get better than that. This is Hedley Rees. Hedley Rees is the Managing Director at PharmaFlow Limited. It's a UK-based consultancy which specialises in supply chain pharmaceuticals and to the life science industries. His previous appointments have included senior positions at Bayer UK, British Biotech, Vanalis, Ortho Clinical Diagnostics, and OSI Pharmaceuticals. He's also an author, and he's here with us today. Welcome, Headley. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Sonia. It's nice to speak to you again. I always enjoy these conversations we have, and I'm ready to sort of uh, tell you what you need to know. Well, I, I love that. That's my kind of language, Headley. So tell me, first of all, obviously, we've talked plenty of times in the past. And, we, you know, you have been raising the alarm since the get go. You've been concerned throughout the COVID period and you've been shouting loud about it, not least about how compromised so much of government is, pharmaceuticals. But tell me, why have you been so uh, outspoken and troubled about the COVID vaccines? Well, the first thing I should say is I, um, I was a thought leader in the industry. I wrote a book, uh, Supply Chain Management in the Drug Industry for Wiley in 2011. You can see it behind my head there. Um, and I was a, known as a modernizer, wanted to change things so that the industry worked like other sectors where they put their customers first and they uh, had a strategic approach, approach to supply chains. And I was very well known. And um, what I was saying was the industry didn't like, but I was able to say it because they knew I was right. So when COVID came along, uh, the first thing that struck me was that they were, and when I say they, I mean Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, and AstraZeneca, not AstraZeneca, but the frozen vaccines, they were shipping vaccines into vaccination centers at minus 70 degrees C or minus 20 degrees C for untrained, unqualified people, willing and able, but unqualified to do the final manufacture. So throwing va vaccines is manufacture. It comes under strict regulations that have to be followed. People have to be trained. They have to have standard operating procedures. They have to work to a quality system. These were sterile injectables. And it's well known that you cannot even test a sterile uh, injectable to prove it's sterile. It has to be manufactured at every stage under sterile conditions. 
So even a test wouldn't tell you if that vaccine was safe to put in the patient. As it happened, there were no tests anyway. Um, so that was the, the, the red flag that appeared straight away. But of course, on top of that, the timescale was unbelievably, uh, it, it wasn't just quick, it was suicidal. Um, this rolling review that they used only looked at the clinical time frame. The main rate determining step with vaccines or any biologic or small molecule product is the supply chain. Uh, how it works that you make a very small quantity, <clears throat> 10 kilos, 10 liters, and you test it only in animal models. But it has to be, you have to test what the supply chain produced. It's no good getting something tested in the lab if it wasn't actually what was produced. And if you can prove that safe, and it normally takes about three years, then you can go into studies in humans. And for studies in humans, you have to work to very tight quality standards. Uh, it takes a long time. It's called good manufacturing practice and good distribution practice. And typically to go through all the stages of clinical trials from phase one to phase three, takes about seven years because then you have to prove that the drug that's being manufactured is properly tested for safety. And if you increase the scale from 10 kilos to 50 kilos, you have to repeat the safety testing at that scale. You can't just say, well, it was safe at 10 kilos, so it's going to be safe at 50 kilos because the molecular structure can change. And none of that was taken into account when they scaled up. So it's highly likely that these drugs would have what they call morphed, polymorphed into a different drug and could well have caused um, injury for sure and, uh, and deaths as well. So, let me just uh, let me just stop that there, Headley, because this is so serious what you're saying. We are just going to go to the news headlines, but we will be right back with Headley Reese. This is unmissable. TNT Radio News. I've got news for you, baby. I've got news for you, baby. News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Tensions over border security are threatening to explode in the US as red state governors start mobilising support behind the state of Texas. UN Chief Antonio Guterres has hit out at Israel, calling its rejection of a two-state solution unacceptable. And Hungary has announced it's ready to ratify Sweden's NATO membership. It comes after Turkish lawmakers voted to approve the country's accession on Tuesday. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to TNT. I'm talking with Headley Rees. This is a fascinating conversation. Headley is telling us that basically the pharmaceuticals absolutely knew that these COVID-19 jabs were not really fit for, for humans, right, Headley? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. 
shocking stuff. Now, I want to look at how compromised our government is with regards to the big pharmaceutical giants. And we know they are, but you've been uncovering loads of information. I highly recommend Headley's uh, Substack. I think it's your Substack, isn't it, Headley? And it's one of the things that you've, you've definitely been diving deep on is how GlaxoSmithKline and, gov and the government vaccine task force are linked. Tell us more. Right, okay. Well, I've had to go back to 2001 when the government formed the Ministerial Industry Strategy Group, which was basically a meeting with pharmaceutical companies, no other industry sector. And at that meet, that first meeting, uh, was it was chaired by the CEO of uh, AstraZeneca, um, the CEO of AstraZeneca of um, vaccine fame. On the, on the committee also was Sir Richard Sykes, who was then the, 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 the chief executive of Glaxo. So Glaxo subsequently merged with Welcome to become Wel uh, Glaxo Welcome. And then it merged with SmithKline uh, uh, Beecham to become um, GlaxoSmithKline. Sir Richard Sykes masterminded both of those mega mergers, 70, 80 billion dollar mergers. He was at this first meeting in 2001, and the minutes are on the uh, in government archives. And the conversation was really with government, look, pharmaceutical industry, if you can help us get up the life sciences pole so that we are number one in the world, we'll both benefit. That that was, you know, if, if you summarized it, that's what it was. And they met every year from 2001 onwards, at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. And in 2013 or 2012, 2013, I became part of this because I helped the Office for Life Sciences get a UK advanced manufacturing supply chain grant for a company in Oxford called Oxford Biomedica. And they had a, a 7.1 7 million pound grant that I helped them get. I had a little bit of interchange with government after that, but then I left the scene because Oxford Biomedica basically fired me and government didn't want me. But they kept, and Oxford Biomedica was a, a gene therapy company, still is a gene therapy company. And I didn't think a lot more about it. But then when all this talk about gene therapies being, you know, the big thing and number one in, in the world, I thought, gosh, what's been going on? And then we had the whole COVID thing. So Oxford Biomedica manufacture the drug substance, this is the adenovirus cell modified, uh, they're basically liquids where they've done a, a genetic modification to chimpanzee cells so that it can help the body make these spike proteins. So um, it's a slightly different technology to the uh, Pfizer and Moderna uh, vaccines, I call them vaccines, but it, the, the, the effect is the same, is, is the same thing. So uh, I instantly, I knew that that was still, I'd seen the process. I'd seen, you know, I knew the company. I knew they were not able to manufacture these injections safely because they weren't at that level of, of maturity, if you like. The whole industry was is very early stage, very experimental. And it was obvious that what they were doing was just pushing these uh, they converted the gene therapies that were on the market, 
because oxobiomedin may can rear uh, what they call a CAR T therapy, a blood cancer therapy for Novartis, which FDA approved in 2017. They haven't sold because that particular therapy is half a million dollars for one to treat one patient. None of these blood cancer therapies have been selling, and now FDA have just put a warning on them to say they are potentially carcinogenic. So this that's going so to be troubling. a big hole in the whole thing. This so, is so they converted. Troubling. Well, absolutely. So, so in the absence of a market, they converted these gene therapies into vaccines on the basis that why not? <laughs> well, uh, well, I can. We we know a million reasons why not. But you you've pointed out other very serious compromises that are taking place here. So, for example, Sir Jonathan Simons, who is uh, who was appointed chair of the board at GlaxoSmithKline in September 2019, he has also been made um, an economic advisory council member by the British government. So that's really troubling. And, and one has to wonder what is going on here. And I want to take things slightly darker, if I may, here, Headley, because, and you've certainly gone there in your writings, and that is about a depopulation agenda. Is there any truth or veracity to the idea that that is what is taking place here? I don't, I don't believe that. I see that almost as a diversionary uh, tactic. So, and there's a lot of debate on this, but why would billionaires want to kill most of their market for the products that they're charging very high prices for? The depopulation agenda, right, they don't care who they kill, that's for sure. For yeah, sure. They don't care that they have contravened all the regulations and the safe, safety checks and balances when you manufacture drugs, that's for sure. But I think this agenda is about making mega bucks because Pfizer made $80 billion in the first year. Now, they've made that by selling it, these vaccines to the population. So I'd ask the simple question, if they kill 90% of the population, who are they going to sell their drugs to? You know, there's common sense tests. And that argument is very US-centric, and we know the US was very different to the UK and Europe. In, in the UK, Bill Gates taken everything over. He hired the head of the, the chief executive of MHRA, Ian Hudson. He has been the linchpin with the regulators in approving these injections, even though they haven't been properly reviewed and evaluated by experienced regulators. We know the European Medicines Agency raised concerns. Those concerns were raised by what you would call the supply chain people, the people who knew there were issues with this. They raised the concerns and they were just stamped out. And those concerns still exist. And the UK has gone even further. It's now made it okay for hospitals to make these gene therapies themselves in a hospital pharmacy or in some other capability. I've got the evidence. You can see behind me there the MHRA uh, good manufacturing and distribution practice regulations for what they call it, these advanced therapies, which are gene therapies or advanced therapy medicinal products. 
hospital pharmacies can now manufacture them themselves without okay. any recourse or any quality system or any skills because they haven't been built in the city. I mean, if I've always said we should be making in hospitals, that should be an endpoint, that should be a target because it's much closer to the patient. But you have to you have to transfer in the skills, the competencies, the equipment, and that whole thing before you do it. And and that's the next book I'm writing for Wiley, which will be out in the summer, which is called Transforming the Pharmaceutical Supply Chain, which will be an academic publication, 300 pages in colour to inform doctors, um, lawyers, investors in how you could develop the supply chain so that this industry becomes like other industries, like the airline industry, where they have to observe proper safety standards. Sounds fair enough to me. Listen, I want to say I thank you very much for joining us today. It's always much appreciated. I love how candid you are. Everybody, this is Hedley Reese. He is, well, as I say, an insider, a whistleblower, and somebody who knows his stuff. Don't go away. We will be right back on TNT. Hi. I'm your retirement fear. But don't be scared. You're still in pre-tirement. Pre-tirement? Does that mean I have more time to plan? Precisely. Here, this is pretirement.org. Huh. Retirement savings options? <laughs> Potential tax breaks? Yep. Ooh. Oh, I could build up savings for my side hustle. This isn't scary. I'm doing it. You got this. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears, eyes. Would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. TNT. Sonia Poulton and today's News Talk, TNT. And welcome back indeed to the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk, TNT. Now I have a question to ask, and that is, First of all, are you aware that Sikhs around the globe are being targeted, murdered, stalked, imprisoned all across the globe? And my question is, why is the UK silent when Canada and America are speaking out? 
To answer this question, I'm joined today by Deepa Singh, who is a Sikh activist from Sikh Youth, and also Dabinjadit. Uh, I, I apologise. I'm giving you a very good who is via Sikh Federation. And these really vital questions, because the truth is, I see this asked enough. So what is really going on here? Deepa, let's start with you. You've talked to me about how you were recently stopped at a UK airport on Christmas Day by UK counter-terrorism unit. What what was happening? What was that about? What reason did they give you? So, um, morning, Sonia. So, basically... As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was gonna make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like Latoya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's gonna protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. 
That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. You're with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. And welcome back to the Sonia Poulton Show. We apologize for that uh, short interruption. I am joined by Deepa Singh and Dabinjah Ajit uh, Singh, who are here to talk to me about how Sikhs are being targeted, stalked, imprisoned all around the globe. And we were just in the middle of Deepa explaining how he had been um, stopped by UK counterterrorism on Christmas Day. Please continue, Deepa. No problem. So basically, the, as the flight landed back at Gatwick on Christmas Day, they said there was technical difficulties. So for about 25 minutes, they didn't let nobody off the plane. And then as soon as the plane doors opened after 25 minutes, uh, there was uh, all of these officers there in high vises waiting uh, for me. They had my luggage ready and they said um, under Schedule 7, which is a terrorism law, uh, you're being stopped and detained. Um, so this law has come into place in 2000, uh, just after 2000. And it's uh, predominantly stopping Sikhs and Muslims um, ever since then. But over the last, say, since 2015, since Brexit, since the Indian government and the trade deals with India have um, risen and more negotiations with Modi, a lot more Sikh activists over the last seven, eight years have been stopped regularly. So over the last couple of months, I'm not the only one. There's countless other Sikhs who have been stopped at ports, um, at UK ports, under the Schedule 7 Terrorism Act, and none of them have commi committed any acts of terror. This is deeply alarming, but th there's even worse things than being stopped taking place, right? And uh, Jit, I would like to talk to you really about what happened with regard Avtar Kanda, and who was apparently on a hit list of India's most wanted, and then all of a sudden he died. What, what was that about? So, Sonia, the case of Avtar Singh Kanda is that on the 15th of June last year, he died suddenly. And uh, at that time, people were just shocked. How could a 35-year-old with no medical history, never been to a doctor, how could he suddenly die in a Birmingham hospital within days? And there were rumours that were coming from India that he'd been poisoned. And what we then had was three days later, Deep Singh Nidja was shot dead in Canada. And that probably made people like myself and Deepa think, hold on a minute, is something else going on? And then we had the case from the US when the Department of Justice unsealed an indictment which basically said India, Indian government employees were directing assassination plots and the indictment actually talks about two or three targets a month in the diaspora. Now, if India has embarked on a policy of eliminating Sikh activists in Canada, the US, the UK, maybe Australia, um, the point is the Five Eyes nations that I've just mentioned, if you had New Zealand, really need to be thinking has the Indian government completely changed its policy? And uh, what I wanted to say, Sonia, just for your viewers, this year marks the 40th anniversary of the Sikh genocide in 1984. And I was born in the UK. I was a teenager at the time. But a lot of people older than me, you know, are in their 80s, 70s, and 60s. And they're still vocal about you know, what happened to the Sikhs 40 years ago. But it's actually younger people like Deepa 
who now, I think the Indian government really fear that here are people that perhaps weren't even born in 1984 or were very young, and they seem to be resorting to actually carrying out assassinations. And they've taken a, a, a page out of the Russian assassination uh, sort of book because they're doing things which we'd never heard of from the Indian state. Now, what is this actually about? Because there'll be people out there saying, well, okay, but but why? Because there always has to be a motive and a reason, right? So is this actually about activists who are calling for the creation of a separate state? Is is that really what we're talking about here or is there something else going on? So, Sonia, if I just pick that up, and I'm sure Deepa will come in. Uh, as I said, um, if you look at Sikh history, it goes back about 550 years ago. It's a very... Uh, it's a faith that grew up uh, in the Indian subcontinent. You know, the founder of the, the Sikh faith was born in Pakistan, as it is now. And basically, the Sikhs had their kingdom. They had their kingdom for 50 years. And following the Anglo-Sikh wars in 1849, the British annexed the Sikh kingdom. And there were treaties. So actually, if you look at more recent history, when it came to creating India and Pakistan, which is what Britain did. They divided the Sikh kingdom between the two countries. Now, nobody talks about partition in 1947 and the fact that Sikhs were divided down the middle. And over, and just saying these numbers is amazing. Over a million people lost their lives. You know, we're talking about what's happening in Gaza or Ukraine. Can you imagine a million people losing their lives? and 20 million people being displaced. Now, that was a direct result of, I would say, the British and the current rulers of India and Pakistan. So this whole notion of a Sikh independent state has been there because it's existed in the past. And Clement Attlee, the Labour Prime Minister in 1947, actually offered Sikhs a homeland, separate from India and Pakistan, and the Sikh leadership at the time chose to go with India, but India just broke all the promises. For example, um, tomorrow marks India's Republic Day. The first constitution of India, um, published on the 26th of January, 1950, actually just penciled out Sikhs as a faith in India. And so Sikhs have never signed up to the Indian constitution. Now, this just gives you a sense of background that actually it's perfectly legitimate to peacefully campaign for a homeland in the UK, in Australia, in Canada and America. But the Indian authorities of today feel that they can go to those countries and silence people by literally killing them. Shocking stuff. I mean, deeper. What shocks me is there are claims around Avatar Kanda, including from his own mother, who believes that he was poisoned by the Indian government. Well, we're talking about poisoning by the Indian government in a British hospital. Deepa, this is very serious stuff. This this is allegations of complicity. What do you think about that? Definitely. And the the guys who were doing the investigation from the community perspective and Divinity or now himself that a West Midlands police blocked every avenue of any thorough investigation. Uh, even when the family said, even when the 
community have said, speak to his close associates, speak to his family. There was nothing done. Uh, um, and every avenue of an investigation of Osmoton was blocked. This is just, uh, no wonder you're concerned. Deeper, you do have concerns for your own safety, don't you? Of course, of course we do. We have uh, concerns for everyone's safety. And most importantly, we've got concerns for our brother who's in India, Jack Carson Johal. And he's been incarcerated illegally for six and a half years now. No trial, um, no conviction, um, you know, and the UK assignment on it. This should be the the conversation on the t- table before any trade deal. He should be returned home to the UK. Absolutely. He's a Dumbarton resident. He was arrested, if I remember correctly, while he was there on his honeymoon, right? And they just swept him off the street. Sonia, he wasn't arrested. They threw a bag over his head and threw him in the back of the van playing clothes. So he literally was kidnapped from the streets and wasn't arrested. There was no formal warrant. He was detained and tortured. Absolutely horrendous. What? Why aren't we doing more? Why isn't the British government doing more? I think one of the questions, Sonia, is um, we've seen the Canadian Prime Minister take a stand. We've seen the US administration take a stand. But what we believe in the UK is really there's an element of complicity. And that complicity, you know, starts off as uh, Deepa said in 2015, Narendra Modi came to the UK as the Indian Prime Minister, and he handed David Cameron a dossier on Sikh activists, and Avtar Singh Kunda was named. This was in 2015. It was widely reported in the media. And the point is, ever since 2015, we had Jagtar abducted in 2017. We've had uh, raids on the people people's homes. Deepa had his house raided in 2018. Five Sikh activists that were supporting the Free Juggy Now campaign. And then we had three British nationals that Priti Patel tried to have extradited to India that faced the death penalty, and that was thrown out by the British courts. So the point is, the UK authorities, you know, and here it becomes the government, the intelligence services, the police, they're complicit in covering up what happened to Avatar Singh Kunda and potentially giving intelligence to the Indians that resulted in the abduction of Jagtar, resulted in him being shown photographs when he was being tortured that could only have come from British intelligence. And that is the struggle we're having. But the thing I'd like to say to to your viewers is, in our history of Sikhs, you know, we're a thorn in the side ever since you look at our history of what we've done, because we stand for the truth. And we may be up against very big governments, but we eventually think the truth will emerge and it will be public opinion and also intelligence services in Canada, in the US. They were the ones that talked to the media. And we had that in the UK with Avtar Singh Kunda. But the UK authorities stamped that out. But the truth will emerge.
Absolutely, it will. That's a fantastic note to end on. I want to thank you both for joining me this morning. It's absolutely vital we keep raising attention. There needs to be more attention to what is taking place here. This is today's News Talk TNT. I want to thank you all for joining me today, for all of my guests, raising vital issues, whistleblowing, and raising attention to injustices around the world. Please stay tuned. Abby Roberts will be up shortly, and I will see you tomorrow. Take excellent care of yourself. This is today's News Talk TNT. Thank you.